All right, so hello. Welcome to part two of this um, episode. Um, I listened back to the first part um, today, and it's interesting that when I was reading it yesterday, um, there was a few sentences here and there that when I read it at the time, I kind of didn't really get it. I kinda, it kind of didn't really go in so well. Um, but I didn't want to be pausing too much, so I just kept on going. But when I was listening to it today, those same sections, when I listened to it, it was quite clear. <laughs> it, I, I understood what I was saying, uh, more or less. So that was just interesting. Um, yeah, I guess when you're listening, you're only just, you're doing one thing. But when you're reading and, um, yeah... Uh, reading out loud and trying to concentrate on it, you're doing two things and I don't know. <laughs> it's not it's not the most difficult multitask, but no, just some of the sentences. It's just, I think it's just his style. Just his style sometimes is a bit hard to grasp. Uh, maybe some of the kind of older, the older words he uses as well. Um, but it's fine. I'm going to just... Uh, I don't need to say much else before this one. I can just crack on with it. Crack on. I must look up. I must look up that the origin of that. Why am I saying that? I know what it means, but I must look into that. Crack on. What is that? What's that about? It's it's like before in another episode I said um someone if anyone's worth their salt or something like this. You know that phrase? Um anyone worth their salt should be able to blah 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 do this or that or whatever. And I looked that up and in that episode, I was like, what the hell does that mean? Where does that come from? And actually, it comes from Roman times when the soldiers would have been paid partially um, with salt. So a soldier would have been had to be literally worth the salt he was given. So, yeah, uh, I must look up this uh, crack on with it. Um, crack on with it. Don't know. Yeah, well, I'll look it up. I'll look it up, and for another episode, I'll have it. But um, I was thinking as well, like this live reading. Um, I mean, actually, I quite like it. I mean, <laughs> I read all the time anyway. But reading and recording and talking about it when I'm when I'm reading something, I'm not talking about it to myself. I might be thinking about it and making notes and stuff. But when I'm actually um, reading it out loud and then kind of uh, trying to put in my own words again, maybe something that I just read. It's um, it's quite, um, yeah, it's quite a nice thing, actually. <laughs> it's quite enjoyable. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I'll just go with the flow and I'll pick back up where I left off. Um, so which sentence is it? Here we go. These wings are the beauty of the poet's soul. The songs, thus flying immortal from their mortal parent, are pursued by clamorous flights of censures, which swarm in far greater numbers and threaten to devour them. But these last are not wings, the censures of criticism towards the poet's songs. The censures are not, are not winged. 
at the end of a very short leap, they fall plump down and rot. <laughs> yeah. Having received from the souls out of which they came no beautiful wings. Nice. This guy's a poet, isn't he? But the, mel- the, but the melodies of the poet ascend and leap and pierce into the deeps of infinite time. Just, I'm reminded again, just of, as I was saying in the first part about Plato's, um, what happens to the soul before it's reincarnated. It's, it, it's led by two horses. One is good, one is bad. And he has to try and keep the bad one in line with the good one so that he can rise up higher in, t- in the spiritual realms and become more endowed with, yeah, I was using different words like goodness or virtue or positivity or uh, purity, whatever words you want to use. And then the higher he gets up, then apparently that that um, is going to affect how he actually is as a person when he reincarnates. <laughs> just he's talking about the poems here have wings. I'm just reminded of it. Anyway, I'll go on. So, so far, the bard, the poet taught me using his freer speech. So far, the bard taught me using his freer speech. But nature has a higher end in the production of new individuals that security, namely ascension or the passage of the soul into higher forms. Hmm, it's kind of that um, Plato thing again. One sec. Um, I knew in my younger days the sculptor who made the statue of the youth which stands in the public garden. I knew in my younger days the sculptor who made the statue of the youth, which stands in the public garden. Okay. He knew a sculptor who made a statue of a, of a youth in a garden somewhere. He was, as I remember, unable to tell directly what made him happy or unhappy, but by wonderful indirections he could tell. He rose one day, according to his habit, before the dawn, and saw the morning break, grand as the eternity out of which it came. And for many days after, he strove to express this tranquility. And lo, L-O, not down low, but like wow, and wow, or lo and behold, his chisel had fashioned out of marble in the form of a beautiful youth, phosphorus, whose aspect is such that it is said all persons who look on it become silent. The poet also resigns himself to his mood, and that thought which agitated him is expressed, but... This is the same. This is the second time he's used this Latin phrase called alter idem. I don't know what that is. I forgot to look it up after I encountered it the first time after the first recording. Alter idem. I guess it's Latin. Not sure what it means, but alter idem in a manner totally new. Okay, so um, a guy was inspired by the sunrise, and then he went and made a sculpture of a of a youth. Was that what it was? He was, as I remember, unable to tell directly what made him happy or unhappy. But by wonderful indirections, he could tell 
He rose one day according to his habit before the dawn and saw the morning break grand as the eternity out of which it came. And for many days after he strove to express that like wow at the, at the dawn. And then he came up with this statue of this youth. Okay, interesting. Um, then he's talking about the poet does the same thing. He resigns himself to his mood. Resigns himself means like just kind of embraces the mood, or the feeling that he has. And that thought which agitated him is expressed. And that thought which agitated him is expressed when he writes about it. Um, the expression is organic or the new type which things themselves take when liberated. The expression is organic or the new type which things take, which things themselves take when liberated. As in the sun, objects paint their images on the retina of the eye. So they, sharing the aspiration of the whole universe, tend to paint a far more delicate copy of their essence in the mind. Like the metamorphosis of things into higher organic forms is their change into melodies. Over everything stands its demon or soul, and as the form of the thing is reflected, by the eye, so the soul of the thing is reflected by a melody. The sea, the mountain ridge, Niagara, and every flower bed pre exist or super exist in pre cantations which sail like odors in the air. When any man goes by with an ear sufficiently fine, he overhears them. Wow. <laughs> Very nice. Um, Tuning into the silent music of visuals, in a way, is kind of what he's saying there. Which is um, interesting. <laughs> um, the 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 music of visuals. Yep. Um. Where was I? The ear. And when a man goes by with, with an ear sufficiently fine, he overhears them. Yeah, and this was just kind of, when I was re-listening to the first um, section, a few of the main points that really stood out to me were, yeah, like the artist is this person who is perhaps more sensitive to things, more kind of, um, for some reason, more... Mm, inclined to listen to this music of the visual, <laughs> for example. Maybe they then think of visualizations when they hear music. Maybe, maybe, um, what's that, um, what's that kind of condition where when you see a color, for example, you, th you think of a, a musical note or something like that. There's a, Oh, what is that phrase? I haven't heard that now. I haven't come across that word in a long time. But there's kind of a condition where your senses kind of um, associate, um, as I said, like if you listen to music, if you listen to a certain note, you're going to get the impression of the color green or red. You know what I mean? I can't remember what that's called now, unfortunately. But there's a name for that. It's like um, this something or... Yeah, it's really not there, but I know, I yeah, there's a condition like that, but I absolutely can't think of what it's called now. Anyway, if you Google it, what is that condition where like, you know, 
Um, you hear something, but then you think of colors or something. Uh, yeah, you can type that exact sentence into Google and you'll find it. Um, and so here we are. Um, he overhears them and endeavors to write down the notes without diluting or depraving them. Um, oh, yeah, I was just saying about um, my kind of points from the first section. Yeah, the art, the, the poet is a bit more sensitive to aesthetic things. Um, and then there was a big emphasis on language and the poet kind of renews language and creates new words or new expressions to add to the fossil collection, the fossilized poetry that is language that was a pretty cool term uh, language that we use every day is fossilized poetry and then the artist comes along and adds to that language um, by not just in the form of words but in the form of, of new articulations about things that people had never um, heard articulated before um, yeah those are kind of some of the main points um, so, and herein is the legitimation, legitimization, legitimation of criticism in the mind's fate that the poems are a corrupt version of some text in nature. And here is the legitimation of criticism in the mind's, in the mind's fate that the poems are a corrupt version of some text in nature, which with they ought to be made to tally. A rhyme in one of our sonnets should not be less pleasing than the iterated nodes of a seashell. Mm, that's pretty cool. Uh, once again, it's kind of about the artist needs to get out of the way <laughs> of the thing he's trying to express. So he doesn't, uh, so he gets a better expression of it. That's just from the first section and he's talking about it here again. Mm. A rhyme is one of our a rhyme in one of our sonnets should not be less pleasing than the iterated nodes of a seashell or the resembling difference of a group of flowers. It's like human having human consciousness can be tricky <laughs> like here for example it can get in the way of the thing you're trying to do like a seashell just probably is just totally natural and what does natural mean it's it's just kind of um, maybe uncomplicated by self-consciousness which is what humans have more so maybe um I'll go on. Um, the pairing of the birds is an idol, not tedious as our as our idols are. A tempest is a rough ode without faults. Oh, wait a second. The pairing of the birds is an idol, not tedious as our idols are. A tempest is a rough ode. A storm, the sound of a storm. Without falsehood or rant. <laughs> a summer with its harvest sown, reaped and stored, is an epic song. Subordinated, how many admirably executed parts. Subordinating, how many admirably executed parts. Yeah, it's like the poetry of nature. Um, why should... Not the symmetry and truth 
that modulate these glide into our spirits and we participate the and, and we participate in the invention of nature now there for example the sentence was actually and we participate the invention of nature you see we would say and we participate in the invention of nature but when he says and we participate the invention of nature okay i'm thinking is it a typo here <laughs> that the in is missing or is it just his style strange i'll go on this insight which expresses itself by what is called imagination is a very high sort of seeing which does not come by study but by the intellect being where and what it sees by sharing the path or circuit of things through forms and so making them translucid to others the path of things is silent will they suffer a speaker to go with them a spy they will not suffer a lover a poet is the transcendency of their own nature him they will suffer the condition of nature of true oops the condition of true naming on the poet's part is his resigning himself to the divine aura which breathes through forms and accompanying that and accompanies that maybe we would say accompanies that um it is a secret which every intellectual man quickly learns that beyond the energy of his possessed and conscious intellect he is capable of a new energy as of an intellect doubled on itself by abandonment to the nature of things that beside his privacy of power as an individual man there is a great public power on which he can draw by unlocking at all risks his human doors and suffering the ethereal tides to roll and circulate through him then he is caught up into the life of the universe his speech is thunder his thought is law and his words are universal universally intelligible as the plants and animals wow uh i'd like to listen back to that um the poet knows what the poet knows that he speaks adequately then only when he speaks somewhat wildly or with the flower of the mind yeah he's really trying to is really trying to like imitate nature he's really trying to um get down to like a truth by trying to be as natural as nature is itself um it seems like he's trying to throw off things that are blocking this kind of mode of perception mm, i don't know he hasn't used the word ego here but he seems to be trying to throw off something that is blocking this perception that of things that nature is trying to maybe tell him it's interesting um uh his speech is thunder his thought is law and his words are universally intelligible as the plants and animals 
The poet knows that he speaks adequately. Oh, yeah, I said this already. Adequately. Then only when he speaks somewhat wildly or with the flower of the mind, in quotation marks. Not with the intellect used as an organ, but with the intellect released from all service and suffered to take its direction from its celestial life. Or, as the ancients were wont to express themselves, not with intellect alone, but with the intellect inebriated by nectar. So the thing I was saying, it's like he's trying to throw off. He said the intellect, um, intellect, the rational mind. Yeah, I was kind of expecting a message from someone, so I left on my uh, data. Um as the traveller who has lost his way, as the traveller who has lost his way throws his reins on his horse's neck and thrusts, trusts to the instinct of the animal to find his road, so must we do with the divine animal who carries us through this world. <laughs> For if in any manner we can stimulate this instinct... New passages are open for us into nature. There it is. For if in any manner, however we can do this, we can stimulate this instinct, this instinct of, he seems to be getting at, <laughs> like, like uh, in, an, in the self-reliance essay, he's talking about how a flower is just completely itself. It's not trying to be anything else. Um, it's just totally itself. Um, it's just following its nature. And I guess he's trying to maybe, maybe he's trying to figure out, um, although I guess he's talking about poetic kind of inspiration, but, um, I'll just continue. Um, for if in any manner we can stimulate this instinct, new passages are opened for us into nature and the mind flows into and through things hardest and highest, and the metamorphosis is possible. <clears throat> so there it is, that's the result. The mind will then flow into and through things hardest and highest. So it might be intuition. It might be intuition what he's getting at here. Um, it might be intuition. I'm just thinking about um, animals and their kind of instinct and intuition. And then humans have this thing called intellect. And um, yeah, I'll go on. Um, it's, it's said that we, like in, in the Bible, I think it is, there is a guy, I can't remember who it is now. Is it Solomon or something? He was able to read the book of nature. I'm not sure which character it is in the character, which personage, which personality, which person it is in the Bible. But there was one person who was said to be able to like speak with nature, maybe able to read nature. Maybe he still retained this um, instinct or intuition. Um, I think intuition is what I mean, not instinct, because I, I think instinct is what your species 
has learned through generations that are important for survival. That's, I think, what instinct is. It's like a, you know, it's like a memory. Um, like, you know, you, you hear a snake and you instantly jump from it because it's instinctual. You know, these are hardwired um, reactions. Uh, and then um, intuition is kind of like maybe a, a different kind of a sense that maybe we have lost through, uh, it's apparently through speech, they say. They say that we've lost intuition to a certain extent. Because, for example, I said this before in another episode because it just came up coincidentally uh, in relation to something I was saying. But like, you know, these like um, these uh, people in like um, the Amazon rainforest or something, these kind of like shamans, these kind of uh, healers with um, with plants and stuff like how the hell did they find out that this plant over here is good specifically for that? Um, just trial and error, trying absolutely everything in the whole jungle to try and cure one thing. Or at some point in time, did someone have this ability way back when? And maybe, you know, some freak every now and then, every couple of centuries <laughs> is born and his intuition is intact or something. I don't know, but I'm just thinking of this because... I'm just kind of uh, trying to get my head around what he's saying. And yeah, he seems to be kind of about tuning into intuition and getting rid of the intellect. And if you tune into intuition, he's saying that's like real poetic inspiration. All right. That was a, that was a, um, a reflection on the thing I was reading. I'll get back to the text now. Um, this is the reason why bards love wine. Mead, mead, which is like a honey alcohol, I think. Narcotics, coffee, tea, opium, the fumes of sandalwood and tobacco. Sandalwood, that has, a, I, I know that, I've smelled that. It does smell nice, but it has an effect. And tobacco or whatever other species of animal exhilaration. See that now? Or any or whatever other species of animal exhilaration I think what he means is like sensual exhilaration that's like the animal aspect of us all men avail themselves of such means as they can to add this extraordinary power to their normal powers so like people getting drunk whoa that car people getting drunk on wine and stuff or narcotics to kind of get rid of the intellects maybe and to yeah try to get in this other mode mm. isn't uh is it charles baudelaire or is it rambo has a poem called be drunk i think it's charles baudelaire um be drunk and then yeah it's a good poem um but you think it's about alcohol but then it's like be drunk on anything uh be drunk on whatever you're into meaning completely in a way, he's saying completely get into a flow with um, whatever you're into. And just coincidentally on this word flow, uh, maybe I've said it before, but it's quite a maybe a little bit known kind of a psychological phrase. Now, when I was doing my thesis in art college, I came across this book in my own research. I came across a book in my own research and it was called Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience by... Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, I think was his name, a Hungarian psychologist. Um, yeah, and just this state of flow is just kind of like 
yeah, you're completely in the zone. You're completely in a state of flow. It's almost sounds self um, explanatory. You're, you're not bothered by kind of um, awkwardness or maybe doubt or insecurities. You're just completely doing the thing you're doing in a real kind of like um, in a real flowing natural way. <laughs> anyway, it's a cool book. If you're interested, check it out. Um, hmm, maybe I can find that book myself and do an episode on it. Um, all men avail themselves of such means as they can to add this extraordinary power to their normal powers. And to this end, they prize conversation, music, pictures, sculpture, dancing, theatres, travelling, war, mobs, fires, gaming, politics, or love, or science, or animal intoxication, which are several coarser or finer quasi-mechanical substitutes for the true nectar, which is the ravishment of the intellect by coming nearer to the fact. And what he's saying is the fact, I assume, is nature the reality of things. These are auxiliaries to the centrifugal tendency of a man to his passage out into free speech. And they help him to escape the custody of that body in which he is pent up and of that jail yard of individual relations in which he is enclosed. Hence, a great number of such as we were professionally expressors of beauty as painters poets musicians and actors have been more than others want to lead a life of pleasure and indulgence all but the few who receive the true nectar and as it was a spurious mode of attaining freedom as it was an emancipation not into the heavens but into the freedom of baser places they were punished for that advantage they won by a dissipation and deterioration. But never can any advantage be taken of nature by a trick. The spirit of the world, the great calm presence of the creator, the spirit of the world, the great calm presence of the creator, comes not forth to the sorceries of opium or of wine. It's kind of saying, really though, you can't really cheat. There's no tricks, cheats to get into this kind of mode that he's talking about maybe. The sublime vision comes to the pure and simple soul in a clean and chaste body. <laughs> so he's saying all these other forms to get at it are just kind of like actually in the end damaging maybe and they're not the real thing anyway. Um, that is, you know, that's just, a, it's a bit like the myth about creativity that you need to be, you need to go off and take drugs and stuff if you want to be creative. It's not true at all. Um, it's, yeah, I, I personally, I never write if I'm drunk or something, you know, it's, um, yeah, a sober mind is, is <laughs> much more effective, um, when trying to do things creative, um, in my experience, um, this, where was I? Um, the sublime vision come. Yes, that is not an inspiration which we owe to narcotics. Yeah, so it comes to the simple and 
a simple soul in a clean and chaste body, that is not an inspiration which we owe to narcotics, but some counterfeit excitement and fury. Milton says that the lyric poet may drink wine and live generously, but the epic poet who shall sing of the gods and their decent and their descent unto men must drink water out of a wooden bowl. <laughs> Why is that? For poetry is not devil's wine, but God's wine. It is with this as it is with toys. We fill the hands and nurseries of our children with all manner of dolls. We fill the hands and nurseries of our children with all manner of dolls, drums and horses, withdrawing their eyes from the plain face and sufficing objects of nature, and the sun and moon, the animals, the water and stones, which should be their toys. So the poet's habit of living should be set on a key so low and plain that the common influences should delight him. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. To see what's really going on. Um, yeah, if you're too caught up in some kind of excitement, you might miss other things, I think is kind of what he's getting at. Um, his cheerfulness should be the gift of the sunlight. You see, simple things like that. <laughs> um his cheerfulness should be the gift of the sunlight. The air should suffice for his inspiration. Wow, yeah, that's cool. And he should be tipsy with water. That spirit which suffices quite hearts, which seems to come forth to such from every dry knoll of sear grass, from every pine stump and half-embedded stone, on which the dull March sun shines, comes forth to the poor and hungry, and such as are of simple tastes. If thou fill thy brain with Boston and New York, yeah, more kind of um, hectic things, you'll miss the simpler things. With fashion and covetness, covet, covetousness, and wilt stimulate thy jaded sense with wine oh i read this in the i read this section this underlined section in the at the end of the last recording that's why i sound familiar i was like why do i why does this sound so familiar um thou shalt find no radiance of wisdom in the lonely waste of the pine woods mm. if the imagination intoxicates the poet it is not inactive in other men. If the imagination intoxicates the poet, it is not inactive in other men. The metamorphosis excites in the beholder an emotion of joy. The use of symbols has a certain power of emancipation and exhilarates an exhilaration for all men. We seem to be touched by a wand which makes us dance and run about happily like children. We are like persons who come out of a cave or cellar into the open air. This is the effect on us of tropes, fables, oracles, and all poetic forms. Poets are thus liberating gods 
so he's kind of saying that like a poet should make you, as I said already in the in the first recording, it's like that phrase from Samuel Taylor Coleridge. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, a poet should remove the film of familiarity, and here here Emerson is saying it's a poet kind of should make a person go out into the world as though they have been like living in a cave and now they're now they can see the world how fresh and amazing and wondrous the world would be then if you were mm, like deprived of it um just <laughs> just having said that i like scrolling on tiktok one day i saw a, a video no so i don't even have tiktok what am i saying instagram because who knows what you have to sign up to when you sign up with uh, TikTok. Um, I saw a good episode of Black Mirror, actually, all about the dangers of of these apps. You just download the app and you don't even read the stuff. And then you press agree. And then you don't even know what you've just agreed to. And the, there was an episode of Black Mirror um, all about what could become... Um, well, what is going on with those agreements that you don't read and how someone then makes a kind of a TV series about it. Anyway, Black Mirror is just pretty cool. Um, but I was thinking before I jumped onto that, oh yeah, because I accidentally said TikTok instead of Instagram. I was, I was um, scrolling on Instagram and I saw this video of a chimpanzee who since birth was, was like a, like a, what do you call it? Like a, yeah, he was like a, used for experiments and different things for scientific experiments. And the video showed the moment that this chimpanzee went outside for the first time. And you could see on his face when he looked, looked up at the sky, it was just like amazing. It was like, oh, my God. That was just pretty amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just thinking about that now. Um Anyway, so the poet should be doing this to us on a daily basis, that when we go outside, we are like that chimpanzee who <laughs> had never seen the sky before. Um, this is the... So sad, isn't it? Anyway, um, this is the effect on us of... Oh, yeah. Men have really got a new sense and found within their world another world or nest of worlds for the metamorphosis once seen we divine that it does not stop mm. i will not now consider how much this makes the charm of algebra i will not now consider how i'm thinking of so many tangents i'm thinking if i keep on doing these tangents uh, this is going to be a really long episode again as well. Um, I will not now consider how much this makes the charm of algebra and mathematics, which also have their tropes, but it is felt in every definition, as when Aristotle defines space to be an immovable vessel in which things are contained, or when Plato defines a line to be a flowing point, or figure to be a bound of solid and many like it, and many the like. Um, what a... So that's, that's more kind of old English, and many the like, many the like. We, we wouldn't really say that. We would say, and many other things like that. What a joyful sense of freedom we have when Vitruvius, 
announces the old opinion of artists. When Vitruvius announces the old opinion of artists that no architect can build any house well who does not know something of anatomy. Hmm. Um, when Socrates in Charmides, when Socrates in Charmides, that maybe is a book by Plato, <coughs> um, tells us that the soul is cured of its maladies by certain incantations and that these incantations are beautiful reasons from which temperance is... Let me just see. Oh, it was 37. Oh, yeah, not so bad, yeah. Um, from which temperance is generated in souls. When Plato calls the world an animal... And Timaeus affirms that the plants are also animals or affirms a man to be a heavenly tree growing with his root, which is which is his head upward. Oh, that's I'm going to be probably reading that book, Timaeus by Plato for an episode. Um, this is clearly something from it. Um, <laughs> he affirms that man to be a heavenly tree growing with its root, which is its head, upward. <laughs> Hair is roots now. Um, and as George Chapman, following him, writes, following Timaeus, so in our tree of man, whose nervy root springs in his top. Hmm. Um, when Orpheus speaks of hoariness as that white flower which, make, which marks extreme old age, Horiness, H-O-A-R-I-N-E-S-S, not sure what that means. Um, when Proclus calls the universe the statue of the intellect, when Chaucer, in his praise of gentle, of gentleness, gentleness, compares good blood in mean condition to fire, which, though carried to the darkest house betwixt this and the Mount of Cork, Caucasus will yet hold its natural office. When John saw in the apocalypse the ruin of the world through evil and the stars fall from heaven and as the fig tree casted her untimely fruit, when Aesop reports the whole catalogue of common daily relations through the masquerade of birds and beasts. One sec. When Aesop reports the whole catalogue of commonly of common daily relations through the masquerade of birds and beasts, we take the cheerful hint of the immort of the immortality of our of our essence and its versatile habit and escapes, as when the gypsies say, "It is in vain to hang them; they cannot die." The poets are thus liberating gods. The ancient British bards had for the title of their order. Um, what did I learn about bards recently? Um, there was another word, wasn't there? It wasn't just a bard. It's in this book here. Can I quickly get it? Maybe this is... Um, I was reading that basically 
in like Celtic Ireland and Celtic Britain to become an actual poet the the apprenticeship was something like 14 years or 12 years or something like this and after I think six of the years you become I think it was you oh, this is annoying let me see if I can find that, that reference because it was very good let me put down this phone for a sec it'll be worth it because <laughs> I think there was two two words after like you've halfway done it you're you're a bard and then if you actually complete the thing you were then a something else which is it why can't I think of it it will be worth it ah uh, uh, it's not coming it is not coming I'll look it up and it will probably come out in some other episode. Um, all right, okay, won't keep you waiting. Um, I won't keep you um, listening to the visuals of wherever you are. Um, anyway, bards. So, the poets are thus liberating gods. The ancient British bards... I really want to know what that word was, damn it. Anyway, um, it's probably there. I can think of it. Anyway, it's going to annoy me now for the whole... Okay, no, I'll leave it. So, the ancient British bards had for the title of their order, those who are free throughout the world. Wow, that was like their the motto <laughs> over their... Uh, over their... Ringfort, where they used to go, or wherever they used to go, um, over the entry, those who are free throughout the world, they are free and they make free. They are free and they make free. I'm just thinking, um, a couple of years ago, <laughs> when Russell Brand met the Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama, how do you say that? The Dalai Lama, whoever you say his name, Dalai Lama, he said to Russell Brand, you are free from the tip of your head to the top to the bottom of your of your toes. It's a pretty, pretty nice compliment coming from the Dalai Lama. Um, an imaginative book renders us... <laughs> an imagine. <laughs> um... <laughs> um I'm just laughing because there was another clip I saw of the of a Dalai Lama during an interview, and I think he killed a fly or something. <laughs> I, I personally hate mosquitoes. If a mosquito comes near me, I am going to kill it. I don't have sympathy for mosquitoes. Flies, that's, you know, he's not trying to suck my blood. A mosquito is, you know, they carry, maybe not here in Europe, but they can carry malaria and different diseases, but... Yeah, mosquitoes, I don't have sympathy for them. <laughs> um, so I totally understand the Dalai Lama. Um, anyway, um, an imaginative book renders us much more service at first by stimulating us through its tropes than afterward when we arrive at the precise sense of the author. I think nothing is of any value in books 
excepting the transcendental and extraordinary. Mm. If a man is inflamed and carried away by his thought to that degree that he forgets, if a man is inflamed and carried away by his thought to that degree that he forgets the authors and the public and heeds only this one dream which holds him like an insanity, let me read his paper and you may have all the arguments of histories and criticism. He's kind of talking about like he said earlier in this in this essay. He was he was talking about a poet was presented to him. Some poet's work was presented to him, and, and upon investigation, he came to the conclusion that this poet was actually just kind of like a like a society pleaser. He was a, maybe a technically accomplished poet, but he wasn't an eternal man. That's what he said about the poet. And here again, he says, if a man is inflamed and carried away by his thought to that degree that he forgets and authors, that he forgets the authors and the public and heeds only this one dream, which holds him like an insanity. Let me read his paper and you may have all the arguments and histories and criticism. And I think what he means by that is like Plato like Shakespeare, like Aristotle, like, um, you know, Dante, anyone who was like um, the soul of their age, let's say, from the first recording, they were that because they completely relied on themselves, like Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance. They, they set at naught all other people's kind of... Um, opinions and stuff and they tested the world for themselves they believed in themselves they followed their own feeling intuition you know and they um this is it so, and like he was saying in the first part of this essay um when a new poet comes out um he sees that this um greatness in humanity is still alive it's not just in the past it's it's it breaks out every now and then you know <clears throat> well the world is full of artists so um but it's not just artists it can be in other kind of categories as well um um all the value which attaches to pythagoras paracelsus Cornelius Agrippa, Cardan, don't know who that guy is, Kepler, Swedenborg, Schelling, Oaken, don't know who that is, or any other who introduces questionable facts into his cosmogony as angels, devils, magic, astrology, palmistry, mesmerism, and so on, is the certificate we have of departure from routine and that here is a new witness." There you go, a new witness. That's what these greats were. They were new witnesses. Um, that also is the best success in conversation. The magic of liberty, which puts the world like a ball in our hands. How cheap even the liberty then seems how mean to study when an emotion communicates to the intellect the power 
to sap and upheave nature. When an emotion communicates to the intellect the power to sap and upheave nature, how great the perspective. Nations, times, how great the perspective, exclamation mark. Then cap, small n for the next word. Uh, nations, times, systems enter and disappear like threads in tapestry of large figure and many colors. Dream delivers us to dream. And while the drunkenness lasts, we will sell our bed, our philosophy, our religion in our opulence. There is good reason why we should prize this liberation. The fate of the poor shepherd who, blinded and lost in the snowstorm, perishes in a drift within a few feet of his cottage door is an emblem of the state of man. And why is that? On the brink of the waters of life and truth, we are miserably dying. So he's saying we're not getting to this state that few can get to or something. The inaccessibleness of every thought, but that we are in. The inaccessibleness of every thought, but that we are in is wonderful. So the inaccessibility of every thought that we are actually living in, it's amazing he's saying that we can't get to it. <laughs> mm -mm. All right. Um, what if you come near to it? You are as remote when you are nearest as when you are farthest. Even every thought is also a prison. Every heaven is also a prison. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we love the poet, the inventor, who in any form, whether in an ode or in an action or in looks and behavior, has yielded us a new thought. He unlocks our chains and admits us to a new scene. Cool. Um, he, he gets rid of the film of familiarity. Mm. This emancipation is dear to all men. I agree. And the power to impart it as it must come from greater depth and scope of thought is a measure of intellect. Therefore, all books of the imagination endure, all which ascend to that truth, that the writer sees nature beneath him and uses it as his exponent. Every verse or sentence possessing this virtue will take care of its own immortality. Nice. The religions of the world are the ejaculations of a few imaginative men. The ejaculations, that word means kind of like a, <laughs> uh, yeah, like a um, sending out of something. Um, the religions of the world are a few uh, shooting outs <laughs> of, a, of a few imaginative men's minds. But the quality of the imagination is to flow. But the quality of the imagination is to flow. Here we are again, flow. And not to freeze, indeed. The poet did not stop at the color or the form, 
but read their meaning. Neither may he rest in this meaning, but he makes the same objects exponents of his new thought. Here is the difference betwixt between the poet and the mystic. That the last nails a symbol to one sense, that's what the mystic does, which was a true sense for a moment, but soon becomes old and false. For all symbols are fluxional, they flux, they change. All language is vehicular and transitive and is good as ferries and horses are. For conveyance, not as farms and houses are for homestead. For all symbols are fluxional, all symbols change, that's the nature of them. All language is like a vehicle which transits um, and is good as ferries and horses are for um, tra- uh, conveying things, not as farms and houses are for homesteads. Mysticism consists in the mistake of an accidental and individual symbol for an universal one. The morning redness happens to be the favorite meteor to the eyes of Jacob Bowman. I think that's the German mystic, strange spelling here. Bohem, Bowman, B-E-H-M-E-N, could be wrong, but there's a German Christian mystic called Jacob, I thought it was Bohem or something like that. Um, the morning redness appears to be the favorite meteor to the eyes of Jack Jacob Beeman and comes to stand to him for truth and faith. And he believes should stand for the same realities to every reader. But the first reader prefers, prefers as naturally the symbol of a mother and child or a gardener and his bulb, or a jeweler polishing a gem. Either of these, or of a myriad, meaning variety more, are equally good to the person to whom they are significant. Get a drink, one second. Get a drink and have a think. Um, only they must be held lightly and be very willing and be v- and be very willingly translated into the equivalent terms which others use. And the mystic must be steadily told, all that you say is just as true without the tedious use of that symbol as with, as with it. Let us have a little algebra instead of this trite rhetoric, universal signs instead of these village symbols, and we shall both be gainers. The history of hierarchies seems to show the history of hierarchies seems to show the history of hierarchies seems to show you know, I'm just I'm just thinking um, it's as I've been reading this for some reason, maybe more so with this essay, <laughs> as I've been reading, the strangest, most unconnected thoughts have been coming. Actually, memories, the most unconnected memories um, have just been re- revisiting me from like, for example, just there now, I was I was reading that last line. And for some reason, <laughs> 
the memory of when I used to live in Dublin and I was sitting on a park bench in Phoenix, not in Phoenix Park, in St. Stephen's Green. And I think there was some, uh, there was like a drunk guy or something there. I can't remember what was going on there, but I remember I was sitting there. I don't know why. Why is that just come into my mind? <laughs> I'm really trying to concentrate on the text, but for some reason, strange like memories like that have just been coming into my mind it was just quite strange um and and that reminds me of um i heard um an like a like a radio play um you know it's like a it's um, yeah it's like they call it like a radio play it's like theater but it's just with sound you know and i heard uh, like a radio play let's call about the the trial for James Joyce's Ulysses to be uh, made legal in America because for a while it was censored and illegal in America. And um, there was just a part of it where um, the defense in the court, he's talking to the judge and he's, I think he was saying himself, he's like, I think he was saying something like, as you're talking to me, judge, or as I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you and I'm serious about what I'm talking about here. But whilst I'm talking to you, strange, unconnected thoughts are coming to my mind all the same. And I think he was just pointing out that like Joyce's Ulysses was important for many reasons, but he was just pointing out that that's what Joyce captured um, as an artist. Um, he was basically one of the first to do this. He didn't invent this this technique of stream of consciousness, but apparently he brought it to its perfection. Um, Virginia Woolf, I think it was, she kind of wrote that kind of uh, uh, stream of consciousness as well, but Joyce is said to have perfected it because he did things like that. Like what I'm just saying here now, I'm trying to concentrate on this essay and... For some reason, these strange, completely unconnected, <coughs> I'm coughing because, uh, oh, never mind. Um, uh, long story. Um, this apartment. Anyway, um, yeah, just um, like that's what happens. So Joyce was just uh, one of the first to really get that down in a book um, and it's like that, like Ulysses is just amazing. Like if you read it, um, there's a lot of that going on, just the way thoughts, um, the way you think, and then something else just comes in and you think about that. And then, you know, it's just strange. Um, it's interesting. I wonder what I, I must now see I'm having the thought now. I wonder have psychologists wrote about Joyce's work? I wonder, was it in any way helpful to them um possibly and now i'm just reminded as well that joyce um um in his book finnegan's wake i don't know if i said this before but in the study of atoms when you break down an atom into its smaller parts there's things called quarks and antiquarks they are some part of the atom or the electron or something like that and this word quark comes from um, James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, the guy who discovered these quarks, he needed a name and he, he, um, he, he, um, 
yeah, he, he took it from Joyce. But apparently Joyce in Finnegan's Wake, I think he was, I think it was actually quantum mechanics. I think that was going on back then. I think he was influenced by quantum mechanics in the way he wrote Finnegan's Wake. If it's not quantum mechanics, it was something really, you know, up to date scientifically. Um, anyway, I'm I'm planning on looking into quantum mechanics and all that kind of stuff um, soon because it's yeah really interesting. Anyway, enough um, enough getting distracted by the strange workings of <laughs> of uh, my mind at the moment. Okay, anyway. Um, where was I before I was back in Phoenix in St. Stephen's Green in Dublin for some reason? Um, only they must be, unlike other memories, I was in other places. So strange. Anyway, um, o- only they must be held lightly and be very willingly translated into the equivalent terms which others use. And the mystic must be steadily told all that you say is just as true without the tedious use of that symbol as with as with it. Let us have a little algebra instead of this trite rhetoric, universal signs instead of these little villages, and we shall both be gainers. The history of hierarchies seems to show that all religious error consisted in making the symbol too stark and solid. The history of hierarchies seems to show that all religious error consisted in making the symbol too stark and solid, and at last, nothing but an excess of the organ of language. Excuse me. Swedenborg, of all men in the recent ages... I hope this is still recording. Yes. Um, Swedenborg, of all men in the recent ages, stands eminently for the translator of nature into thought. Swedenborg, Emanuel Swedenborg, the Swedish uh, yeah, scientist and kind of mystic, of all men is the recent in recent ages, stands eminently for the translator of nature into thought. Okay, so this guy Swedenborg seems to be, I think he was an influence on um, Emerson, and he, he's saying that he is a good example of what he's trying to get at when he's trying to say, you get out, get the intellect out of the way so you can get to intuition. Um, I do not know the man in history to whom things stood so uniformly for words. Before him, the metamorphosis continually plays. Everything on which his eye rests obeys. The, everything on which his eyes rests obeys the impulses of moral nature. The figs become grapes whilst he eats them. When some of his angels affirmed a truth. The laurel twig which they held blossomed in their hands. The noise which at a distance appeared like gnashing and thumping. On coming nearer was found to be the voice of disputants. The men in one of his visions, seen in heavenly light, appeared like <coughs> excuse me, appeared like dragons, and seemed in darkness. But to each other they appeared as men, and when the light from heaven shone into their cabin, they complained of the darkness, and when compelled to shut the window that they might see it. I'm just going to get a bit of honey here because my throat is kind of dry from this apartment, I think. Nectar. No. Nectar is 
Anyway, um, it's from a flower, isn't it? Nectar is from a flower. Then it gets turned into honey. Um, um, they complain. Oh, yeah. There was this perception in him that which makes the poet or seer an object of awe and terror. Namely, that the same man or a society of men may wear one aspect to themselves and their companions and a different aspect to higher intelligences. Certain priests, whom he describes as conversing very learnedly together, appeared to the children who were at some distance, like dead horses, and many the like misappearances. And instantly the mind inquires whether these fishes under the bridge, yonder oxen in the pasture, those dogs in the yard are immutably are immutably fishes, oxen and dogs, or only so appear to me, and perchance to themselves appear upright men. <laughs> what? Whether I appear as... Let me just see. I think it's only about three pages after. Yeah, that's nearly there. Um... And whether I appear as a man to all eyes, and whether I, I appear as a man to all eyes, the Brahmins and Pythagoras propounded the same question. And if any poet has witnessed the transformation, he doubtless found it in harmony and with various experiences. We have all seen changes as considerable in wheat and caterpillars. He is the poet and shall draw us with love and terror who sees through the flowing vest the firm nature and can declare it. I look in vain for the poet whom I describe. We do not with sufficient plainness or sufficient profoundness address ourselves to life, nor dare we chaunt our inner, our own times and social circumstances. Chaunt? What's that word mean? some more old kind of English words, nor dare we chaunt, I think that means kind of get rid of, cast off, nor dare we chaunt our own times and social circumstances. Mm. If we filled the day with bravery, we should not shrink from celebrating it. Time and nature yield us many gifts, but not yet the timely man, the new religion, the reconciler whom all things await. Dante's praise is that he dared to write his autobiography in colossal cipher or into universality. Mm, his autobiography. Um, we have yet had no genius in America in the early 19th century with tyrannous eye which knew the value of our incomparable materials and saw in the barbarism and materialism of the times another carnival of the same gods whose picture he so much admires in Homer. Then in, then in the Middle Age, age, then in Calvinism, banks and tariffs, the newspaper and caucus, Methodism and Unitarianism, are flat and dull to dull people, but rest on the same foundations of wonder as the town of Troy and the temple of Delphos and are as swiftly passing away. Our log rolling, our stumps and their politics, our fisheries, our Negroes uh, and 
Indians, our boasts and our repudiations, the wrath of rogues and the puzzle, uh, pusillanimity, oh, I haven't said this word ever, pusillanimity of honest men. I'm not sure what that means now. I have to look that up. Pusillanimity. Um, the northern trade, the southern planting, the western clearing. Oregon and Texas are yet unsung. He's saying there has been no great poets in these places. Yet America is a poem in our eyes. And actually, I think there's a there's an American poet called uh, Walt Whitman. And I think um, he came out sometime after um, Emerson. Like Emerson, he was a contemporary of Emerson. But I think when Walt Whitman came out, I think Emerson said like, ah, here he is, the guy the poet that we needed, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, um, yet America is a poem in our in our eyes. Its ample geography dazzles the imagination, and it will not wait long for meters. If I have not found that excellent combination of gifts in my countrymen which I seek, neither could I aid myself to fix the idea of the poet by reading now and then in Chalmers collection of five centuries of English poets. These are wits more than poets, though there have been poets among them. But when we adhere to the ideal of the poet, two and a half pages left now, we have our difficulties, even with Milton and Homer. Let me get that again. But when we adhere to the ideal of the poet, we, oh yeah, if you're really holding this conception of a poet to a real high ideal, if you're doing that, then you'll even have problems with someone like Milton, John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, and even Homer. My God, po Homer though, seriously. <laughs> I, uh, wow, it's unbelievable. Um, I mean, just even thinking again, how long the Iliad and the Odyssey are, and someone was able to remember all of that from memory. That's just incredible. That's a, a that's like an art of memory that we don't use anymore. Um, anyway, um, I mean, it's like knowing a novel from, by heart, essentially, but maybe they had variations. Um, anyway, um, Milton is too literary. So here's the problems that we have with... Um, these greats, if we have, if we hold the poet to a very high ideal, Milton is apparently too literary and Homer too literal and historical, um, says Emerson. But, but I am not too historical. Um, the Odyssey, historical. Uh, um, but I am not wise enough for a national criticism and must use the old largesse largeness a little longer to discharge my errand from the muse to the poet concerning his art art is the path of the creator to his work the paths or methods are ideals and eternal though few men ever see them not the artist himself for years or for a lifetime unless he comes into the conditions. The painter, the sculptor, the composer, the epic rhapsodist, the rhapsode. Uh, 
I believe it actually means a stitcher. Um, anyway, uh, the orator all partake, like, all partake on desire, namely to express themselves symmetrically and abundantly, not dwarvishly and fragmentarily. They found or put themselves in certain conditions. As the painter and sculptor before some impressive human figure, the orator into the assembly of the people and the others in such scenes as each has found exciting to his intellect. And each presently feels the new desire. He hears a voice. He sees a beckoning. Then he is apprised with wonder what herds of demons hem him in. He can no more rest, he says with the old painter. By God, it is in me and must come forth of me, must come out of me. He pursues a beauty half seen which flies before him. The poet pours out verses in every solitude. Most of the things he says are conventional, no doubt. But by and by, he says something which is original and beautiful. That charm that charms him. He would say nothing else but such things. He would say nothing else but such things. In our way of talking, we say, that is yours, that is mine. But the poet knows well that it is not his, that it is a strange and beautiful. But, but the poet knows well that it is not his, that it is as strange and beautiful to him as to you. He would fain hear the, he would kind of pretend to hear the like eloquence at length <clears throat> he would feign here the like eloquence at length um once having tested this immortal ichor once having a test tasted once having tasted this immortal ichor or ichor and coincidentally i looked that up sometime before ichor is the within greek mythology they the greeks thought that the the Greek gods didn't have blood in their veins. They had Ichor. And I think it was like, I can't remember now how they described it, but um, it wasn't blood. It was something else. I can't remember if they said it was like gold or I can't remember now how this, what, how they described it, but it wasn't like human blood. It was something else. Um, once having tasted this immortal Ichor, he cannot have enough of it, and as an admirable creative power exists in these intellections, it is of the last importance that these things get spoken. What a little of all we know is said, what drops of all the sea of our science are bailed up, and by what accident is it that these are exposed when so many secrets sleep in nature? Just there again, I was reading that and I was like, tomorrow's Saturday, the town's going to be busy. <laughs> Strange. Um, anyway, um, but that was the last, that was the the only time that that's happened since I mentioned the last one. So it hasn't been happening all the time. The concentration is, uh, yeah, it's going good. <laughs> um uh, And by what accident is it that these are exposed when so many secrets sleep in nature hence the necessity of speech and song hence these throbs and heart beatings in the orator 
at the door of the assembly to the end, namely that thought may be ejaculated as logos or word. Logos or word. These are coming from um, uh, the Bible, um, because in the Bible, uh, in the Gospel of, I think it's John, um, it opens with the sentence, um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was made flesh. And the word is the English translation of the Greek original word called logos. And logos, I think it does mean word, but it also means like, I think it means like an, an immaterial being, I think. Uh, anyway, more on that another time. Um, Doubt not, O poet, but persist, trust thyself. Say, it is in me, and it shall out. Indeed. Stand there, balked, balked, strange word. Stand there, balked and dumb, stuttering and stammering, hissed and hooted. Stand and strive until at last rage draw out of you that dream power which every night shows you that it is in you he says every night shows thee is thine own a power transcending all limit and privacy and by virtue of which a man is the conductor of the whole river of electricity nothing walks or creeps Electricity. This is the nineteenth, mid nineteenth century. Um, nothing walks or creeps, um, or grows, or exists, which must not in turn arise and walk before him as an as exponent of his meaning. Comes he to that power, his genius is no longer exhaustible. All the creatures, by pairs and by tribes pour into his mind as into a Noah's Ark to come forth again to people a new world, to populate a new world. This is like all the creatures by pairs and by tribes pour into his mind as, in, as into a Noah's Ark to come forth again to populate a new world. This is like the stock of air for our respiration or for the combustion of our fireplace. Not a measure of gallons, but the entire atmosphere, if wanted. And therefore, the rich poets, as Homer, Chaucer, Shakespeare, and Raphael, have obliviously no limits to their works, except the limits of their lifetime, and resemble a mirror carried through the streets, ready to render an image of every created thing. O poet, a new nobility is conferred in groves and pastures and not in castles or by the sword blade any longer. The conditions are hard but equal. Thou shalt leave the world and know the muse only. Thou shalt not know any longer the times, customs, graces, opinions or politics or opinions of men, but shall take all from the muse. So yeah, this is kind of getting back to his, the poet should be an eternal person, not just someone representing, mm, 
fleeting conditions, but go for more eternal things, eternal inspiration. Um, for the time of towns is told from the world by funeral chimes, but in nature the universal hours are counted by succeeding tribes of animals and plants and by growth of joy on joy. God wills also that thou abdicate a manifold and duplex life and that thou be content that others speak for thee thee and thou um, others shall be thy gentlemen and shall represent all courtesy and worldly life for these for thee for you others shall do the great and resounding actions also thou shalt lie close hid with nature and canst not be afforded to the capital or the exchange, the stock exchange. The world is full of renunciations and apprenticeships, and this is thine. Thou must pass for a fool and a churl for a long season. <laughs> this is the screen and sheath in which Pan, a Greek god, has protected his well-beloved flower, and thou shalt be known only to thine own and they shall console thee with tenderest love and thou shalt not be able to rehearse the names of thy friends in thy verse for an old shame before the holy ideal and this is the reward that the ideal shall be real to thee and the impressions of the actual world shall fall like summer rain copious but not troublesome to thy invulnerable essence thou shalt have the world the whole land thou shalt have the whole land for thy park and manor the sea for thy bath and navigation without tax and without envy the woods and the rivers thou shalt own and thou shalt possess that wherein others are only tenants and borders thou true landlord sea lord air lord Wherever snow falls or water flows or birds fly, wherever day and night meet in twilight, wherever the blue heaven is hung by clouds or sown with stars. I'll just go again. I'm just, I was distracted by something else he said. I was reminded of something else he said. Um, it was about something about uh, the poet is the emperor of all <laughs> because he's open to all and will articulate it all or something like this. It's, it's from the first um, the first part of this uh, this essay, uh, this lecture. I'll, we're on the home stretch here now, only about few, two sentences left or something, long ones. Wherever snow falls or water flows or birds fly, wherever day and night meet in twilight, wherever the blue heaven is hung by clouds or sown with stars, wherever, wherever are forms with transparent boundaries, wherever are outlets into celestial space, wherever is danger and awe and love, there is beauty, plenteous as rain, shed for thee shed for thee and thou and though thou shouldest walk the world over thou shalt not be able to find a condition a condition inappropriate or ignoble 
meaning um yeah a poet should be like literally absolutely everything should be um a poet should be able to write about it like literally everything because like you could say everything is the mystery <laughs> everything is the wondrous nature of of life uh so a poet is he who can see this and um who can who can then um relate it back and undo the film of familiarity from the eye of people the eyes of people mm. all right so um that's that essay let me see how long that went on for oh my god another hour and 27 minutes exactly more or less like the last one that is that is pretty consistent for 10 pages <laughs> wow i thought it was going to i thought i might get it done in like 45 minutes or something like that or an hour maximum anyway that one that those 10 pages i really really i was really um i really got them um but as i said there was some points some sentences in the first um part of this lecture that i recorded some sentences i didn't get so much but when i listened to them back as a listener they were much more clear to me um and but this one at the time of reading yeah i was really on top of it i felt um so that went well but um yeah i mean what did you think of that if you're interested in poetry uh, and if you never heard this um i i i think you might have enjoyed that um yeah <clears throat> i read this when i was about uh, about 26 25 or something like that um and at that time i had written quite a lot of poetry um so yeah it was pretty cool for me um so yeah that was yeah it's a great essay um so there you are if you're listening to this once again um do say hi that would be cool um nice to get some comments um so there's the facebook instagram and then patreon all can be found under the name of oral otium um yeah so like comment share and support <laughs> if if possible um what else should i say here um yeah um yeah that's it just um yeah i hope you enjoyed it um i i did that was pretty cool um so yeah just um if you like it it'd be great it would be great to hear from you and um follow along um check out the instagram and the facebook and yeah if you share it that would be so great um that would be yeah it would help a lot uh if you think you know I believe in this. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know, if I heard someone else doing this, I think I'd like it, you know. I think if I heard some other, you know, um, some other writer or artist um, giving their opinion on these kind of things, uh, yeah, I think um, I think I would like it. So, um, 
yeah, I just haven't gotten much feedback. Um, so still kind of like uh, guessing in relation to um, the validity or the kind of um, um, the merit of this. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to continue with it anyway, because I think it, it, it will. Um, it's just a matter of getting it out there. You know, that's that's where that's really where I'm at. I'm happy with literally all the episodes so far. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of, yeah, really finding people who listen to podcasts <laughs> because some people don't at all. They just, I've, I've met people and I've said it to them and they kind of like, yeah, I don't listen to podcasts or, um, yeah. So it's just about finding people who like, I'm a podcast fiend. I, you know, any, any time I have the chance I'm listening to something, um, yeah, like when I'm cooking or running or doing anything around the house or, you know, yeah, a lot of the time. I don't really, when I walk around the city, I don't that much because I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I don't really, often I just prefer to be, yeah, in the city and checking it out. Um, but anyway, uh, podcasts, yeah, they're great for great for learning stuff. Um, I mean, it, here it is like, okay, you're working in a job and in the evening time, you want to go for a run. You don't have time to sit down and read a book you you have this book Ralph Waldo Emerson's essays up there on your shelf but you know you work all day and then you you have to get your exercise in as well and you got to cook and all this kind of stuff so then what about while you're running you're essentially reading at the same time you know there it is that's the merit of podcasts it's <laughs> yeah it's undeniably of of benefit if you're interested in the subject so yeah um I'll round it up now um so yeah maybe that's my motto um like, comment, share, support, and I will be so grateful <laughs> for it. Um, okay, that's it. That was cool. Really enjoyed reading that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still working on the next episode. Looking forward to it. Getting really into it now. As I said in the last recording, the next episode is starting to form in my mind how I'm going to do it. So that's exciting. It, yeah more on that later but anyway yes this was cool okay ciao ciao until next time see you on instagram <laughs>